We're going to continue our uh, Sermon Sunday sessions within the Gospel of John. And we find ourselves in chapter 9. And chapter 9 is interesting. It certainly gives us insight into the things taking place with the ministry of Jesus Christ. Thus far, with the chapters previously uh, read and studied and proclaimed, we see the purpose of the Christ and the kingdom he brings and those uh, who are warmly receiving the message and those who are growing hostility towards the message. And quite revealing, we see more so the Gentile, the foreigner, the outsider, if you will, have a genuine faith towards Jesus compared to those who were born and raised uh, within the covenant of the old system who should have embraced Jesus but chose to neglect and reject him. And that is sad indeed because the Jews born in the lineage of the covenant and the Abrahamic ancestry should have been there to receive him warmly as those born with the blessing of the law and the prophets who spoke of a coming Messiah. And so they were born in a system, cultivated in a system to learn and read and recite and teach and preach and meditate upon the law. And within the law, of course, we would find the literature of the prophets speaking of a coming Messiah. But they had since interpreted the text of the Messiah to their own selfish desires and traditions. And when the Messiah came, he did not, uh, uh, he was not as they would have wanted him to be. And because of that, they would find hostility against him because they had since grown in the power and the control, the religious leadership, the Sanhedrin, which made up, of course, of the chief priest and the elders and uh, the uh, uh, Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, uh, a, a governing political party of about 70 members in this Sanhedrin. And there were various tiers in there that would be at odds with each other. But again, as we've been learning, they became friends through the mutual enemy being Jesus, whom they sought to murder, to remove. Because Jesus was speaking to the people of liberation, of freedom from the bondage and oppression of these tyrants, if you will, these oppressors, these religious leaders. And so throughout the chapters thus far we've seen the progression of his ministry and his delivering of a message that would free them from the bondage of sin and those who controlled them that they had since become subordinates to these religious leaders who were corrupt they were self-righteous hypocrites and they had bound a great weight upon the people and uh, the people were intimidated by them they were afraid of them 
And Jesus came with great courage to tell them, you no longer need to be in the bondage of this slavery. You can be set free and independent. You do not need these individuals to manipulate your life and your religious practice. You can be set free from that and simply follow Jesus. And of course, those who were in control and power through their pride, they found that to be an affront and an attack on their power and their control. And so they sought to remove Jesus because they were losing their control and power. And they don't like that. And so we've seen these things take place and how they sought to accuse him falsely and how they slandered him and how they called him a deceiver and a liar and a blasphemer and a devil, a a thief. And how Jesus stood his ground with courage as obedient to his father. He defended his deity, his equality to the father, that he is indeed divine. He is the Messiah. He is the prophesied coming king, the fulfillment of the scriptures as he walked the earth. And they, of course, grew with more bitterness in their hearts. But some, some saw the truth and recognized his love and his forgiveness and sought to follow him. And Jesus made sure always to make that decision in the minds of men. What will you choose this day? To be humble and follow the truth which sets you free or to remain bondage to the minds of men who have since created their own image of what the Messiah should look like and be. And it is no different today when we look at the ocean of religion who professes and proclaims Christianity and how they are divided in their doctrines and yet claim unity when we see the division. They follow men and men's desire to create Christ in their own flesh. And Christ wanted to set men free of that very bondage back in the first century Palestine and he still does today in our current age. To that moment and account recorded and witnessed, we made our way to chapter 9. And last week in our sermon session, we recognized the witnessed and recorded account of a man born blind who was given sight. And we saw that portion of scripture from verse 1 to verse 12 and how this man was told to go and wash and be cleansed and how this man who was born blind, he did that. He went, the text says, And he washed. And only after he had went and after he had washed did he regain his sight. Today we will have false teachers teaching us that as long as you go, you need not wash to find sight. But yet the scriptures are clear. You have to go. And he went. And you have to wash. And he did. And then he gained his sight. He followed the instructions of the Messiah and the compassion of our Lord. And he gained vision. But simultaneously, as this man gained his vision, sight to see, those who were able to see were growing blinder by the minute. And isn't that interesting how many of us walk on this earth 
with our eyes that see before us, but yet are blind to the spiritual truth of the doctrine of our Lord and Master. So, this session will have us in verses 13 and following. And we will read each verse and we will see the context and theme for our purposes to know Jesus. Which Jesus? The Jesus of the Bible. And you will recognize that the Jesus of the Bible is very different than the Jesus the world has since created in their own image. And we continue and we will see the hostility and the aggravation, affront, and offense of the religious leaders in accordance to this man who was born blind who now has sight. And though you might be tempted to think this is about the blind man, it isn't. It's about Jesus and their hate for him. But yet the truth remains. Verse 13, we begin to read. They brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now remember, the chief priests were more so accustomed and accompanied the law for the temple, but the Pharisees were at ground level with the people in the synagogues, and they had the control and law enforcement of the synagogues, and they indeed utilized socio-political affairs and their own traditions to oppress the people in compliance to the affairs and traditions of the synagogue. So they, they here in context, are the neighbors and the acquaintances of the blind man. So the neighbors and the acquaintances of the blind man in verse 13 brought the man to the Pharisees because the Pharisees were known as the leaders, the religious authority in these synagogues. And they have done so not in evil heart, but just as a practice of their minds that you bring the man to the authorities in the church to see if this man is in compliance to the law and what has taken place so that they could have insight into what is happening. So they brought to the Pharisees the man who was formerly blind. Now, verse 14, it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Friends, be careful to understand the context and what is being said. Jesus never broke the law. Never. A Sabbath is but another feast that the Jews, the religious Sanhedrin, the political power of their culture, had set in tradition and bound as law. The pharisaical kind will interpret the scriptures to their own selfish desires in order to insert tradition in your minds to which they can subordinate you with. And it might masquerade itself as trustworthy. Now it was a Sabbath. It is not the Sabbath that we would recognize weekly for these here Jews. It was a Sabbath, but another feast created by the religious leaders. Jesus never broke the law. But he certainly, purposely, sought to challenge their traditions. 
because they had since put their traditions of a higher worth than the law of God. These kinds do that and said it as if they are walking Bibles. What I say goes. God never created a Pharisee. Pharisees do not come from God. And the many ordinances, 623, I believe, or 613, I can't remember the exact number, were man-made. They have no origin from God. So, that needs to be understood as we move forward. Now, it was a Sabbath on the day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. And on a Sabbath, they, the Pharisees, had set law and bound law, which was, you cannot perform any signs or miraculous powers on that day. You certainly cannot make clay and apply it to anyone's eyes. Violation. A violation of the law. Guilty before men. He has broken God's rule because they sought themselves as God. Remember, Jesus came to liberate the people from these who set themselves in chief seats with their large and phylacteries, who placed themselves as God on earth. Then, verse 15, the Pharisees also were asking him again, how he received his sight, the blind man, of course. And the blind man said to the Pharisees, Jesus applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. It's that simple. It's How were you saved? I believed, and I was baptized. I came up out of the water and I had been washed of my sins, as Paul would say in Acts 22.16. As the Galatians would know in Galatians 3.26 and 27. As the Colossians knew in chapter 2.11 and 12. As Peter so plainly wrote in 1 Peter 3.21. How were you saved? I believed and I was immersed. How did you gain sight? Jesus applied clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, verse 16, because of this answer, some of the Pharisees were saying, some were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Whose Sabbath? Do you see how manipulative and deceptive these kinds can be? They call it the Sabbath that would be from God when it wasn't. So they find him guilty. This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But you see, there were others who were saying, well, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. Some were trying to utilize the argument that it's because he's a sinner. Others were saying, it's not that he's a sinner, it's that he broke the law, which indeed is the same if we look at the definition of sin. What is sin? Lawlessness. Breaking God's law. But they wanted the priority accusation to be 
He broke the Sabbath. Whose Sabbath? Man's Sabbath or God's Sabbath? Man's Sabbath that they had since bound as God's Sabbath. This man is not from God. He can't be because a man from God would not break the Sabbath is their reasoning, their argument. And we must understand this. They are seeking, of course, to discredit what took place, which was supernatural. It was miraculous. It is something that cannot and will never be explained naturally. And it was immediate. This was true and real and authentic. It was genuine. And they could not deny it, so they had to seek a way to accuse him of guilt and discredit him and remove him. And a division took place because of those arguments. So they, in verse 2, said to the blind man again, What do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And the blind man said, He is a prophet. Now, friends, let's be mindful to look at the insight of this man's faith, this blind man's faith. Pay attention. This blind man began by answering and saying the very simple fact of the matter. Jesus applied clay on my eyes and I washed them as he told me to wash them and I see. Look at how his faith has progressed to the second application here of his testimony in verse 17. He's a prophet. He's gone from doing what God told him to do to receive his sight to now have grown in his faith enough to say he's a prophet. He has to be. He has to be someone from God. He has to be a prophet. Well, the Jews in verse 18, and here when it speaks of the Jews, it is the Sanhedrin. It is the socio-political governing power of the Jews in the first century Palestine. That make up, again, of the chief priests, the elders, the scribes, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, a body of 70 or 71 members. The Jews then did not believe it of him. They don't believe the blind man's witness and testimony. Well, you see, they can't because that would mean they're wrong and he's right. And Pharisees, they're never wrong. They're too smart to be wrong. So is the sarcasm to point out the description of their darkened hearts. So the Jews then did not believe on him that he had been blind and had received sight until they called who? The parents of the very one who had received his sight. It can't be true. It can't be true because this man is not from God because he broke the Sabbath and he's a sinner. So we're going to seek for other others we can call in here and see if we can get an answer we're looking for, in other words. And questioned them, in verse 19, the parents. The Pharisees questioned the parents and they were saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? Two questions, almost three, I guess. Well, in verse 20, his parents, the parents of the blind man, 
answered the Pharisees, answered the Jews, the Sanhedrin, and said, We know that this is our son. Okay, so they did not reject the fact that they were the paternal uh, recipients of this child. And that he was born blind. Well, that didn't kind of go in the favor of the Jews. But how he now sees, verse 21, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes? We do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. The ch- this man is uh, accountable. He's independent. Ask him. Yes, he is our child. Yes, he was born blind. We cannot deny that. But as for the answer the Jews were seeking, these parents knew the consequence. And they were not going to put themselves in trouble because they were intimidated by these religious leaders. And so they verbally accepted what would not get them in trouble, but they were not going to publicly express and confess what would get them in trouble. So they put the accountability to the independence of their son. Ask him. He has a thinking mind. He can answer for himself. And why did they do that? Verse 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed Jesus to be the Messiah, the Christ, the coming King, he was to be put out of the synagogue. If you dare confess this man Jesus to be the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, by law, we will push you out of this church. You will not have the privilege of religious right. You will no longer be able to Worship among us and you will be shunned in the public square. And you can see how it's easy for them to be devoured by these cancerous, pharisaical types. Intimidation, fear. Well, we don't want to be kicked out of the church because we confess that Christ is indeed Christ. You can see how much control these Pharisees had over the people. And my dear friends, I assure you, these Pharisees still have that power today with so many. So his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews were, had already agreed that if anyone confessed him to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, verse 23, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. <laughs> if he wants to put himself in trouble, you go ahead with him, but we don't want to lose our right to worship with all of you Jews and to do what we've been doing and so on and so forth. So the second Time, a second time in verse 24, they call the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. You know what that means? 
It means tell the truth. That's what that means. Tell the truth. We know that this man is a sinner. Go on, say it. Tell us the truth. Tell us what we want to hear because we're always right and you're not. We're educated and you're not. Tell us the truth. Tell us the truth. We know this man's a sinner. Well, the blind man answers the Jews in verse 25. Whether he is a sinner, I don't know. But one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Listen, I don't know all the details, but he told me if I believed in him and I was baptized, I'd be saved. And he told me if I didn't believe in him, I'd be condemned. So I believe in him and I was baptized. So I'm saved. Don't ask me everything about that. I don't know. I just did. And it, it worked. I see. So they said to him, in verse 26, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? You see how he is seeing clearer and they are losing their sight? How are they losing their sight? They've got a log sticking out of their foreheads. They're hypocrites. Their hearts are hardened. They want to get rid of Jesus. They loved the praise of men. They were greedy and they were losing that power. And so they were blinded by their hate and bitterness. So they say to the blind man, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And of course, the blind man answers them in verse 27. I told you already and you did not listen. You're not paying attention to the things I am saying. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become one of his disciples too, do you? Oh, <laughs> ooh. Sarcasm against these religious authorities? Ooh. Bad. How dare he utilize sarcasm at these religious tyrants and bullies? Many of us here know exactly the kind of language and account this is. We've, we've lived through that. We've seen these things. We've seen those kinds in the church. This man did well to point out their evil hearts. And of course, as a result of that, they reviled him in verse 28. You know what that means? That means they abused him. And they said to him in this verbal abuse, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. Remember what Jesus told these people? These people who were continuously trying to accuse Jesus and test him and challenge him and point him guilty and murder him. He told, if you all truly loved Moses, you would have listened to what Moses said about me. Here I am in front of you. But yet you neglect me, you reject me, you, you seek to murder me. You belong to your father, who was a murderer and a liar from the beginning. That's what Jesus told these religious leaders. Have you ever tried to tell religious people who think they are saved and belong to God that they're not saved and they don't belong to God? What will they do? They'll crucify you. Some will believe, some will be pierced, and some will be challenged and softened to follow. But some will seek to murder you. So they reviled him, they abused him and said, you're a, you're, you, you are his disciple, <laughs> but we're, we're disciples of Moses. 
We know, verse 29, that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he is from. Of course they don't recognize Jesus. Of course they don't. They belong to a different paternal source. Their paternal source is the devil. Jesus' paternal source is the Father in heaven. And again, we are challenged to ask ourselves, to whom do we belong? Right? So we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them in verse 30, Well, there is an amazing... Here is an amazing thing. <laughs> that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. Who do you know that can practice these miraculous supernatural powers? He's basically saying, I was blind, now I see. You saw, but now you're blind. We know that God does not hear sinners, he says in verse 31. This is the blind man speaking to the, the Jews. But if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, you see how there is always action to faith? Always action to faith. He hears him. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, God hears that person. And since the beginning of time, verse 32, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man is not from God, verse 3, he could do nothing. Look at the progression of this man's faith. He told me to do something. I did it. I saw. He's a prophet. Now what is he saying? He's God. He's from God. There's something divine about this man. While they, the Jews, the religious leaders, are growing in greater hostility and hate towards Jesus, this blind man is growing in more strength and trust in Jesus for who he really is. Who can do that who's not from God? It's a legitimate argument. He's speaking to religious leaders who are trusted in the community, who are known to be the scholars and the educated body of the law. And this man is a common folk, blue-collar guy who was born blind, who's only saw the dirt on the ground begging alms from people, and now he's able to be wiser than these. And that's exactly what Christ can call us to. He can call us to be wiser than our enemies. He will take us away from these tyrants, these religious leaders, who have a corrupt and hypocritical heart, and he can set us in independence and faith away from sin. And of course, they didn't like that answer, did they? In verse 34, these Jews answered this blind man and said, You were born entirely in sin, and you're teaching us. So they put him out 
Have you ever challenged your pastor, your priest, your reverends, your popes, your teachers, your preachers, your moms, your dads, your co-workers? Have you ever challenged them? I assure you, a great many will push you out. Christ can set us free from this. And it's interesting because the same was said of Jesus in John chapter 7, verse 15. The Jews then were astonished, saying, How has this man become learned, having never been educated? Friends, there is worth in education. But there is greater worth in humble learning. Some people know everything this book has to say. They know it from beginning to end. And they can quote it in Greek, in Hebrew, in Aramaic. But they don't learn anything. All they have is academic strength. And there's, no, there's nothing wrong with academic pursuits. But it's not enough. It needs the learned, humble heart of the love of God within the mind. You see how prideful these were, how blinded they were by their pride and their hypocrisy. They couldn't see this man had been made well. They should have been celebrating with this man. They should have embraced him. They should have welcomed the Christ. They should have followed the Christ. So they put him out. Friends, never ever be intimidated by Pharisees who want to kick you out of their churches because you want to follow Jesus the way the Bible says. You don't need to stay in their corruption. You don't need to. Jesus can set us free. And the East Coast church that belongs to Jesus is this, is that. And we follow the Christ and the Christ only. You don't need to answer to me. I'm just like you. We're united together, equal and diverse. We follow the Messiah and the Messiah only. And of course, this always points to the new birth, to the moment in which one goes from being a subordinate to religious falsehoods and traditions and the corruption of these pharisaical types to being free in Christ, the new birth. Christ said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born out of water and the Spirit, the Word spoken and revealed, you will never be saved. You'll never see. Isn't it interesting that it is the foreigners? It was the foreigners, not the Jews, the pagans, the heathens, you and I, the Greeks, who embraced that message. And the Jews neglected it, rejected it, and crucified him at the hands of godless men. Jesus himself said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to gather you under my wing. He loved them. But they chose to be loyal to the Sanhedrin. And that's sad because families have been broken that way. Marriages have been broken that way. Friendships have been broken that way. 
And it is a difficult feat to accept the truth and follow it. Look at these parents. They didn't want to do it. They'd be kicked out of the church. But it would have been better for them to have been kicked out of that corruption and be with the faithful than remain there and die in sin with them. Jesus has said, whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. Whoever does not believe shall be damned. Why argue that? Why question that? Well, that's not what my pastor said. With all due love and respect, who cares what your pastor said? What has Jesus said? The message of the cross is indeed piercing. It's challenging. It'll have us think inwardly. And the Jesus of the Bible is very different than the Jesus that is being proclaimed out there in the world. And there lies the deception. Okay, so that will conclude the sermon portion session of the scripture. We'll conclude the chapter next time, next Sunday. Of course, the invitation is always available to all of you for gospel obedience, for confession, if there is anything you seek to share. It is always available to you. This is an open family who follows Jesus. Let us have a a song, uh, Joshua.